If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply felt discouraged or even defeated, if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then this podcast is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa. Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Success. Today with me, I have the pleasure of speaking with Diane Dreher. Is that how you say your last name? That's close. It's Dreher. The H is silent. Oh, Dreher. Okay. Diane is a best-selling author, researcher, and positive psychology coach. Her books, The Tao of Inner Peace, The Tao of Personal Leadership, The Tao of Womenhood, Inner Gardening, and Your Personal Renaissance, have been translated into 10 languages, and her work has been featured in media outlets, including USA Today, Entrepreneur, Redbook, Glamour, Cosmopolitan, Science of Mind, radio and TV talk shows, impressive, on leadership and personal growth. Welcome, Diane. Well, I'm delighted to be here today. Oh, thank you. So do you have any tips for our audience on how you can find inner peace or do they need to buy your book, The Tao of Inner Peace? There are uh, practices for finding inner peace that we all, I think, intuitively are drawn to if we listen to our intuition. So, of course, I'd like them to uh, read my book, or uh, it just came out as an audio book, actually, The Tao of Inner Peace. But lately, because of the COVID pandemic, A lot of us have been doing different things than we ordinarily would do. And many of us have been spending more time outside with our friends because it's not public health, safety, et cetera, uh, a good idea to spend time in close quarters inside. And the Tao Te Ching was written over 25 centuries ago by Lao Tzu during another period of real challenge and change, the uh, Warring States period in ancient China, and Lao Tzu found peace of mind going out into nature and studying nature's wisdom, Mm -hmm. the energies of a mountain stream, the strength of bamboo that bends with the wind and doesn't break. So he learned flexibility, He he learned faith in a larger process. So there's been lots of research in positive psychology that shows that when we go out and connect with nature and feel that we're something part of part of something larger than ourselves, we have more peace of mind. We have faith. So I would, uh, first of all, say to people, you know, go outside, look at the sky, watch the birds in the trees, Mm -hmm. take a deep, mindful breath and realize you're part of something, something really beautiful, something infinite. Wow, that is profound. I so agree. I just wonder, what is your opinion? Why do you feel like nature has that effect on us? 
my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Why has no one ever asked you that? (laughs) That is a huge question. Okay. Um, Okay. In terms of uh, what I write in the Tao of Inner Peace, the Tao Te Ching is that we're part of nature. It's a Mm. part of us. Mm. What we breathe in, the trees breathe out. So we're connecting to a part of ourselves when we, we are connecting that. to a part of ourselves that uh, civilization takes us away from. And mm. there have been lots of studies that show when people in the inner cities create community gardens, the crime rate, domestic violence rate goes way down because being realizing that we're part of something living and growing and beautiful. Uh, somehow (laughs) is good for us because we are part of nature. And if we forget that, we destroy nature and we destroy ourselves. Wow, that's deep. (laughs) I'm just kind of (laughs) taking that in. You know, I lived in LA, Los Angeles, California for a long time. And we did that. We would build community gardens in inner cities And it was so exciting for, it was through the church that I was a part of Agape Spiritual Center and the kids in the neighborhood would be so excited. They'd be jumping up and down. They'd be helping there. There was this lightness to the air um, when they were like feeling the dirt and being with it. Absolutely. You know, they're, they're, they're literally getting in touch with their oneness with nature. When I lived down in LA, uh, going to UCLA, I lived in Santa Monica. Oh, wonderful. I lived very close. I lived in Venice. Oh yeah. Vista. And then I also lived in the Valley. When we bought a house, we moved up North. Wow. Well, um, Santa Monica was, I lived on 7th Street, which was seven streets away from the ocean. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I go Beautiful. down and visit, visit the ocean. And sometimes I'd take my books and I'd study there and realize I was part of that infinite, beautiful ocean. You know, people feel better by, you know, lakes, rivers, oceans, because again, they're getting back in touch with the fact that they're one with nature. Yeah. Well, what do you think's better, a mountain or the ocean? <laughs> well, <laughs> it depends. I guess I guess we get a choice, you know? Yeah. Um, we can cultivate our gardens close to our homes, mm-hmm. or even if we don't have a yard, if we live in an apartment. And my cousin Norma used to have a garden on her patio in mm-hmm. Pasadena. Um, gardening. Uh a lot of people like vacations by, you know, oceans, lakes, etc. Mm-hmm. I used to love to go skiing in Mammoth. Uh, so uh, mountains were very appealing to me also. It mm-hmm. sort of depends. But there's, there's uh, positive psychology research out of UC Berkeley on the power of awe. When people are looking at this incredible mountain or looking up mm-hmm. at a giant redwood tree, mm-hmm. uh, their immune system is strengthened. They feel a deep sense of joy. Uh, their stress is released. <laughs> they have measured all of this. 
Wow. So there are, there are studies that show that being in touch with nature is incredibly good for our physical health, as well as our emotional and spiritual health. Oh, amazing. So all the times my kids are fighting me to go on a hike, I need to just push through that and just bring them and let them experience all of nature, right? Um, I think it really makes a difference. My husband grew up in Brooklyn, New York in a housing project, Mm -hmm. which was not really a very nice environment. And his mother saved money all year long so that they could go to the mountains for a few weeks during the summer. That's such a beautiful story. And he probably remembers that so fondly. Oh, absolutely. He absolutely loves nature. And what it did was it made him aware that there was something outside of their very limited economic situation that they lived in. And both he and his twin brother became uh, PhD neuroscientists and college professors. Wow. I think it's because they, that being out in nature made them realize that there are infinite possibilities out there. Mm. And our awareness is really powerful. If we're not aware of something, it may as well not exist. When we become aware of new possibilities, we can create new possibilities in our lives. Mm. Now, do you ever communicate with trees or plants or um, animals outside in nature? Uh, well, <laughs> in many ways, in many ways, Top uh, secret. I, no, I'm just I kidding. have a big redwood tree in my yard and my Ooh, nice. standing by the redwood tree. And I've, I love trees. We have trees here in California that are thousands of years old. Isn't that incredible? Where do you live now? I live uh, about 60 miles south of San Francisco. Oh, okay. Yeah. In that area. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. The Bay area. Mm -hmm. So yes, I have my favorite bedwood tree and, Mm -hmm. uh, Animals are wonderful. Um, we have a bird feeder right outside the kitchen window and the birds come and, you know, we communicate when I'm having my breakfast, they're having theirs. I have a dog. My husband has a horse. We have a cat. Uh, having animals around us, I think also. And, in, and interestingly enough, a lot of people have adopted dogs and cats during the pandemic. because, yes, Including me. Yeah, looking for that kind of connection. Uh, Animals connect us with nature and our nature. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that, that that could have been the root of, because we were getting a rescue and it was so hard to find a rescue. They were in demand. (laughs) Right, (laughs) everybody. (laughs) Yeah. And what's interesting is that, okay, dogs and cats take us back, uh, you know, we have to stop paying the bills and doing our errands to play with them mm. and to care for them and to feed them and to pet them. And so they kind, they kind of bring us back to the spirit of play, which for a lot of adults is missing in our lives unless we, you know, are aware of the need for it. Oh, yeah, me too. It's definitely missing in my life. I mean, when my dog, yeah, she will just love, I mean, I'm sure that's any dog loves to be petted and, but it is, it's very calming for me too. I enjoy it. 
um, that I could play with her more, you know, I take her for a run. So we went for a run today and I let her go free for a little bit when there's nobody around. And I noticed there's something in her that is just so joyful. Like she's just like leaping through the fields and it makes me happy. <laughs> like I get to have fun through her, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And again, there are scientific studies. What's, what's interesting to me is that, uh, Contemporary science is rediscovering what uh, Lao Tzu recognized 25 plus centuries ago. And one of them is that petting dogs and cats lowers our blood pressure and relieves our stress. <laughs> it's good for our animals. It's good for us. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, can we just for our audience and for myself, what is Tao? Okay, the Tao uh, is the first character of the Tao Te Ching. And the Tao means the way or the path. Mm-hmm. And De, uh, T-E, uh, although it's a character and Chinese didn't have an alphabet like we did. So it, they pronounce them different ways. That means, that means virtue or character. So sometimes the Tao Te Ching is, is translated as walking the path with heart, you know? Mm. Uh, so the Tao is the way, the way of life. Mm. Yeah. So it it could be up to interpretation, but your interpretation is living your life through your heart. I would say so living with heart and living in harmony with nature. Oh, in harmony with nature. Mm -hmm. Now the name of this podcast is Zen success. So I was wondering what are the differences that you see between these two words, Tao and Zen? Well, I have a friend who is a, a Zen Roshi. Mm. And what is that? Is that a priest or a teacher? Yeah. Teacher. In, in essence, a, a, a spiritual teacher or priest. Mm-hmm. And for him, uh, Zen is, is a way of thinking, being present, you know, mm. uh, being present in the now. Yes. And the Tao is, is again, being present on the way, but the way also involves learning from nature, looking around us as well as within us. And my friend, the Zen master seems to be more into looking within as opposed to both looking around and looking within. I see. I I understand. I just feel this profound wisdom in you. And I love how you apply spirituality and research. It's incredible. Oh, well, thank you. I I love how people are discovering in the, uh, in our century. Yeah. (laughs) 2022. What people intuitively, spiritually recognized, you know, millennia ago. Uh Uh, And the fact that most great spiritual traditions converge in important ways. Mm. Fascinating. It's amazing. So much wisdom mm-hmm. in the past and, and from different cultures too, from India, the Ayurvedic way of life. I mean, oh, just, just amazing. So how do you apply Tao to leadership and 
being a woman. So your book is womanhood. So how do you, what are some ways that people can do that in their lives? Okay. Um, there are a couple of different Tao books that I've written. The Tao of Inner Peace, which just came out in an audiobook, And then there's the Tao of Personal Leadership. And the Tao Te Ching, which is a, a series of eight, 81 short poems. That's all it is, which has been translated more than any book in the world, except for the Bible, because wow. it's so compelling. One of the poems in the Tao Te Ching says, with the best of leaders, when the work is, the, the project is finished, the work is completed, the people all say, we did it ourselves. And I take that to mean that, that a, a Tao leader, as opposed to a dictator, uh, brings out the best in all the people around him or her. Wow. Empowers all the people. And together, they bring forth their light, their wisdom, and come up with creative new possibilities. Mm. So, Do you feel like it includes lifting others up, maybe having it be, even though it might be the leader's idea, but having it be the whole team or company coming mm -hmm. together and having it be um, a joint idea? Absolutely. Uh, Dow leadership is team leadership. Mm. And even uh, the best uh, individuals who mean well can only see from their own perspective. Like I can only see what's directly in front of me. I can't see what's behind me. My peripheral vision is somewhat limited. The people around me can see things I cannot see. So that when we incorporate the wisdom and the insights and the input of all the people on the team, we have more possibilities. We have more insights. You know, we have better solutions to our problems. So yes, absolutely. Interestingly enough, uh, the humanistic psychologist Carl Rogers carried that quote from the Tao Te Ching, the best of leaders, et cetera, the people all say we did it ourselves, because he believed that as a psychologist, his job was to be a facilitator and to help people bring forth that which is within them. And I think that's my definition of Tao leadership. And that's a, a kind of leadership that we could really benefit from today because our problems are too complex for any one person to uh, solve by him or herself. Mm, yeah, that's fascinating. That would be amazing. How has that book been received, the book on personal leadership? Oh, well, um, when it first came out, I got lots of invitations to, uh, to speak at different events. Great. And, uh, People were pretty excited and empowered, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I've used that. I've been uh, at the Santa Clara University where I've taught for years. I was a department chair and associate dean, uh, faculty senate president, and I used that, that form of leadership uh, to create new uh, proposals to get everybody involved. And it's fun. It's very energizing to have a meeting and have everybody say, we did this, you know, instead of, oh, the leaders making us do it. <laughs> yes, that shift, that energetic shift to that. That's amazing. Okay, so what about for women? The Tao of of womanhood. Yes. Well, yes. The Tao Te Ching teaches that everything 
is made up of the forces of yin and yang. Mm. Uh, night and day, sunlight and shadow, mountain and valley, all of that. And that each of us within ourselves has the forces of yin, the contemplative, meditative part of us, and the active yang, the uh, act energizing, you know, the part of us. So it's the difference between awareness and action. We have both. Our uh, culture for quite a while has separated men and women into men are supposed to be yang and be active and involved in the world. And women are supposed to be yin and be nurturers. And the Tao Te Ching would say, no, <laughs> to be a balanced individual, male or female, we need to combine the energies of yin and yang within us and to create our own sense of who we are and not have other people and stereotypes put us in a box. So the Tao of womanhood is, is just saying, you know, what are you called to be as, mm -hmm. as a woman in this life? Mm -hmm. Do you... Uh, do you choose to be married? Do you choose to be in a partnership? Do you choose to be single? Do you choose a career? Do you choose to have children? Uh, many possibilities. Don't let someone else define you. Yeah. Or society. I mean, I yeah. feel like society and your parents and grandparents put, uh, put you in a certain box that you must do something like have a family, get married or have a career, you know, all of that. Oh yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I graduated. <laughs> it's ridiculous. ridiculous, ridiculously limiting. I graduated yeah. from college and my mother was, uh, she didn't quite understand who I was. Uh, <laughs> she, she went around telling all the relatives, well, Diane didn't get married uh, in college. So now she has to go to graduate school. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you did it. That's, that, that's, that's the way she saw it. Yeah. But uh, what about your partner? Did you meet him in grad school or later? I met him when we were both teaching at Santa Clara. And he's, oh, okay. he has both, you know, the yin and the yang. He's, he's uh, obviously, he's a neuroscientist. He's, he has a horse. He's very nurturing. He's very active. He's run marathons. Uh, we have a balanced relationship, which is wonderful. And again, um, our own identity to combine yin and yang and our own relationships. Mm. For example, when I was growing up, I had to, uh, my chore was to clean the house, which I did not enjoy. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I'd rather be outside in the garden. So what we decided we, when we got together was, what do you enjoy most? And we divided up the chores. And so Bob dusts and vacuums and I do the uh, gardening, which he considers yard work and he doesn't like. <laughs> so, Beautiful. Oh, I yeah, love it. We, we have to find our own balance. And, and the Tao teaches that nature is dynamic balance of yin and yang, the cycle of the seasons, day and night, you know, one thing leading to another. Mm. Interesting. So tell me about being featured in magazines and talk shows. How did you get discovered? People read my books and contacted me uh, through my agent quite a lot. And sometimes <laughs> I did a, a workshop for California agricultural leadership. Uh, and rather strangely, I was having office hours and talking to my freshman students about their, uh, their papers. I noticed there was a 
an older gentleman sitting outside my office where the students would sit and he was waiting. And the final student left and he came in and he said, I'm the president of California Agricultural Leadership and I've read your book and would you please consider speaking at our conference? So sometimes they found me in in the oddest ways and I said, of course. Oh, wonderful. That's so amazing. I love how the universe brings you to the right people once you put yourself out there. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, some kind of cosmic timing. Mm -hmm. Um, Another person, Hugo Bonjean, who was uh, in Canada, in Calgary, was uh, at at an airport, picked up the Dow of Personal Leadership between flights, read it, uh, contacted me and said, you must come up to Calgary and do a workshop. He was a manager, regional manager for Holiday Inn. So Mm -hmm. we had all these hotel managers coming up to this little... uh, ranch in Calgary in the snow, uh, dealing with the Dow leadership and, and their careers. And it was so much fun. And of course, a big moose came in and looked, looked in the window at us during the conference. I love it. Hey, yeah. When we put what we have, our gifts out there, uh, we connect, as, as you know, with energies beyond ourselves and uh, amazing things happen. Wow, that's incredible. So what has been your journey to being a heart math practitioner and coach? Um, that's more recent. And wow. yeah, heart math, the heart math Institute is up here in uh, Boulder Creek in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And some of my clients were talking about heart math and the fact that it's a wonderful way to, uh, to meditate, to relieve stress, and to help other people relieve stress. And I think one of my, I guess, attributes is that I'm a lifelong learner. So I, I thought, well, that sounds fascinating. So I took a course and decided I liked it. So I do heart math meditations uh, every morning and every evening. And they're really short little meditations The evening one, though, is a global coherence meditation because the HeartMath Institute has discovered that our energies go out and influence the energies of other people around us, which, of course, the Tao Te Ching wrote about, you know, had in it years ago. And the global coherence meditation has people all over the world, and you get onto this little app and you can see lit up all over the world. People were meditating last night in Sweden and uh, all throughout Canada. California is a big place. Florida, you know, uh, in the Middle East and in Dubai. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. And, And we become part of that. And we all meditate at the same time. And the goal is to raise the energy level of the planet. So why not? That's amazing. How many people are on these calls on average? It depends. Uh, Every month during the full moon, they have a special full moon healing meditation. And there are, you know, lots and lots of people, uh, 30, 40, you know, at a time. But last night, maybe there were about 10, you know, scattered all over. But I meditate really late at night. So maybe earlier in the day, there are more. But it's just kind of nice to know, again, as the Tao Te Ching teaches us, we're all connected and to recognize our connection and in a sense to recharge it both personally and 
collectively. Mm. And had you meditated before that? Oh, yes. I began meditating when I was uh, in graduate school. Oh. I, I, would, I would do yoga and meditate. And I figured that in order to write my dissertation, I needed to do this. And so I would get in the corner and stand on my head and meditate. <laughs> Wow. So it worked. (laughs) Wow. That sounds fun. The dynamic meditation. I did, I did a meditative dance before and I really loved it. It was, Oh yeah. I can imagine. I've done Sufi dancing before. Oh, great. I've heard of Sufi. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, again, you have all these people who are dancing around in a circle and you look in each other's eyes and see the light. A friend of mine facilitated that. And it was, it was truly wonderful. I would imagine that there are probably thousands of different forms of meditation. I mean, moving meditation. Yeah. Yeah. I went to one where you um, sit across from each other and you look into their, uh, another person's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've done that. And then there's mindfulness meditation. Actually, okay. I decided that there are studies that show that people can think more clearly when they do meditation, because when we're stressed, our higher brain centers are offline and we're into fight or flight and we get adrenaline and our muscles tense and our heartbeat increases and, you know, blood pressure increases and we can't think clearly. Mm -hmm. So uh, I thought, Hmm. And there've been studies that show that students do better when they meditate. So I figured, all right, why not? I'm a tenured faculty member. I had my students meditate at the beginning of every class. We'd have a short meditation just to center down And uh, then, you know, then we'd all be present and we could discuss the material. And one day I was late for class because a a distressed colleague caught me when I was walking to my classroom building. So I came in about five minutes late and I noticed that the students were all there sitting with their eyes closed and a young woman student was guiding them in a meditation So I waited outside the door and then she said, and now, you know, you can gently open your eyes and come back from center, present, relaxed. And, you know, and I thought, how sweet (laughs) they, they, they just did their meditation because, because they wanted to. Wow. Now tell me about applied spirituality. What is it? And how did you get to be the associate director at Santa Clara University? Oh, my friend and colleague, Tom Plant, who's a psychologist who specializes in psychology and spirituality. Oh, cool. He bring together a lot of people from uh, the various universities and also people who were practitioners, social workers, who were interested in applying spiritual practices to their work. So we have people who teach, people who do research. uh, And before COVID, we would have a wonderful spirituality and health luncheon, uh, which would be once every quarter. And we'd all get together on campus in the dining room without masks (laughs) and eat and talk and brainstorm. And now we just meet on Zoom. But we've published a lot of uh, books together, done research together, looked at uh, 
how meditation can help people in lots of different ways, healing, uh, being more present, excelling in their schoolwork. And there are different forms of meditation that we've uh, studied. And it's a joy to be with these people. Yeah, that's amazing. And what type of research on positive psychology do you do? Well, let's see. I've done uh, research. I suppose the most cited work is a study called Can Hope Be Changed in 90 Minutes that I did with my colleague uh, and friend Dave Feldman, who's also in this, you know, Applied Spirituality Institute. And we had college students um, <clears throat> take a hope test. You know, there, there are... <laughs> There are uh, scales that measure your level of hope. And then we did an intervention, uh, a guided meditation, having them set goals and visualize themselves achieving these goals. And then we give them the hope test again. We also had, uh, what do you call this? A control where people would take the hope test and just have a muscle relaxation technique and then, you know, take the hope test again. And then we had, People take the hope test and do nothing and then take the hope test again. Well, we found that simply writing down their goals that they'd like to achieve in six months and then focusing on that one goal, picking one goal and visualizing three steps they could take to the goal, three roadblocks that might come up that would keep them from taking one for each step, and then think of three alternative steps they could take. Okay. And then Dave would very beautifully lead them through this guided meditation in which they would see themselves taking the first step, running into a roadblock, finding an alternative, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, with each step until they came to their goal. Very simple. And then uh, we did a follow-up study and found that their hope had increased and their goal and achievement had increased dramatically from that one little intervention. And that... Uh, study has been cited all over the place and is now being used by a doctor in uh, Israel to bring Palestinian and Israeli healthcare workers together wow. to, to, uh, to work on hope. Oh. So that makes me feel really happy. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. That's to have that kind of impact on the world. So what is Zen success to you? Zen success would be internal success, mm. having a sense of inter inner balance, direction, joy, and meaning. And the, the external success that comes from that. So it's success within us, success around us recognizing that we're part of something larger than ourselves. I guess it has a lot to do with uh, Tao leadership, mm -hmm. you know, becoming the leader in our own lives and helping other people discover that, that light, that power within them, and then combining that light to create greater possibilities. That would be Zen success for me. Oh, wow. That's exciting. That's my favorite definition so far. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and learning about your books and about the Tao. And I'll put your website and how to buy your books in the show notes. Any last words? 
Well, let's see. Yes, I suppose for all of us, the Tao Te Ching combines awareness and action. And I would encourage all of us to keep finding that awareness within and around us, becoming part, recognizing that we're part of nature, and then taking positive action one small step at a time. Because the Tao does tell us that the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Beautiful. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Zen Success. I would love to get your feedback at zensuccesspodcast.com on what topics you'd be most interested in and what Zen success is to you. Thanks for listening.